Hey, Bob here, and welcome back to the Your Virtual Upline Podcast, where we give network marketers the mindset, strategies, and skills that you need to build the business and life of your dreams. Hey, Bob here. Welcome back to the show, episode number 262. Today, we got a special one coming your way. This one is near and dear to my heart. I'm going to be sharing with you an interview that I had with Susan Ramirez, who is the founder of an organization called National Angels. Now, if you've been a part of our community for a number of years, you may have heard of Susan before. And if you've attended one of our events, you may have even heard Susan speak at the actual last live event that we did. This is over two years ago. Crazy to even think that, but it was called the Impact and Growth Summit. And Susan, it was in Texas, and, and Susan's organization is based out of Austin, Texas, and she spoke at our event on stage. And so National Angels is an organization that supports foster care children in the United States, but they have a very unique business model and approach. They support foster care more of a holistic way where it's not just the foster care child. They support the parents. And she's an incredible advocate for fostering. She's got an unbelievable story. She's just an incredible person. She has a heart of gold. I so admire her and the mission of her organization. And I admire it so much that I've actually partnered with them. I've been on her national advisory board for the last couple of years. And we did some fundraising for them at our live event. And I got to tell you, I was so proud of our community. And if you were part of this, you know, I'm speaking to you. We raised more money at that event than Susan, than her organization had ever experienced before. And, and she's spoken on some, some big stages before for some people that are very well-known uh, female empowerment speakers that do events and uh, somebody that was very popular in this space for a couple of years that has kind of fallen from grace. Hint, hint, you probably know who I'm talking about. But our small but mighty community, we raised more money than she had ever been uh, you know, fundraising at a single event. And I just thought that was incredible. But I wasn't surprised because I know our community. But anyway, so uh, I started, I partnered up with Susan and I've been a part of our organization behind the scenes. And it's just, you know, having two children now, it's just, it's a, it's a topic that I'm so much more sensitive of. But if you've never heard of her organization before, uh, and if you never heard Susan speak, you're going to absolutely fall in love with her story. And if you're somebody that has children, man, this is going to hit home in such an, a major way when you hear really just kind of uh, the reason why her organization exists. And so... I love sharing this interview with you, and I, we're doing it. And at the time of this publishing, this is a uh, we've got something special coming up where we want to give back again, and we want to try to make a difference in some children's lives. You know, when you hear Susan's message, you're going to be like, "Oh my God, it's so in alignment with what we teach with Love Serve Grow." Like, love is such an important part of what they do. They even have a program called the Love Box program. But like, when you hear just the impact that they're making in these children's lives by what they do, I just felt like, hey, look, it's you know the time of the year where Black Friday, where everybody runs sales promotions. And you know my team and I were getting together and we were just like talking about like, what can we do? We just came up with all these like arbitrary, we could sell this course and we could do that. And, and I just wasn't excited about any of it. It just didn't really feel like it was purposeful because that's what everybody does. And I said, let's do something different. Like let's do, let's do the anti-Black Friday approach. Let's, let's not find a way to make money. Let's find a way to give away more money. So we're actually this year, we're going to be supporting a, 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 a donation or a, a fundraising drive that she's doing um, that's going to be kicking off next week. And I'll have all the details. The, the actual event is happening November 30th through December 2nd. And I'm going to give you some information at the end of the episode of how you can participate in what's going to happen. But we're doing something special. We're trying to raise some funds for her organization. Um, I didn't tell her this at the time of the interview, but this is something I decided after the fact because I'm just so passionate about trying to give back and make an impact, especially when it comes to children, having two boys of my own and just you know, just knowing the power of, of, of showing them love and what it does in their life. So we're going to be running a three-day fundraising campaign for our audience. And um, what we've committed to is whatever we donate, we're going to match as a company. So whatever that amount is, as little or as big as it is, we will match whatever 
you all, you know, find it in your hearts to do. Let's pull together in a season where we t- we're typically thinking about consuming and and let's let's give back and let's do something special. Let's let's really show Susan what our community can do and and the power of love serve grow. So, at the end of the episode, I'm going to give you a link that you'll be able to check out. And I just want to let you know this link is not we're not ready to go yet. It will be the actual uh, fundraising happens between November 30th and December 2nd. But I think the link will actually be active anyway. So uh, I'm going to give it to you. Matter of fact, I'll just give it to you now. Why am I going to wait till the end of the episode? So it's my show. I can do whatever I want. The the link to donate, and we'll put this in the show notes, is yourvirtualupline.com forward slash donate. Now, I wouldn't expect you to donate before you hear the Susan and what she's all about. And so you'll have that and I'll give it to you at the end of the show as well. But really, really excited to be able to help her organization out. And I got to tell you, it started out, we came into it just having her come on and share her story, but it actually turned into something totally different. Like we have a really cool conversation around leadership. And Susan talks about how she basically built this incredibly successful nationwide organization, Grassroots from just one experience that she had in an event that she attended. And I and I talked to her about like her transformation that she had to go through as somebody that had never done anything like this before and how she had to learn how to lead people and have a vision and face all the challenges and adversity that came along the way, having this big dream, but then having to face these roadblocks. And I was like, man, it's so, this is like so relatable to my audience because that's your leadership journey. So not only are you going to hear an incredible story, but you're going to hear some like really powerful, like behind the scenes, like leadership training and talk, like the real, real stuff that you need to do to be successful in your business. So if you're somebody that has a heart to serve and and you've ever wanted to give back and you just weren't sure how, or if you could make a difference, I think this could be a really important episode for you. We're also going to give you a chance, you know, whether you want to donate or even learn how you can become a part of her organization. They're always looking for to expand new chapters. We've had some of our community members. Um, I know Wendy Stevenson, who's a longtime listener and a good friend. She wound up actually doing some stuff with Susan's organization. We've had lots of people that, you know, have contributed. So with that being said, I want to turn it over to my interview with Susan Ramirez from National Angels, I know you're going to love this talk, and uh, I'll check back with you here when we're done. All right. Well, hey, everybody. Bob here, and I am super excited to have a special guest with me here today. This is someone that I'm not proud to admit this, but we've been trying to literally make this interview happen for several (laughs) years at this point. Chalk it up to COVID life, whatever, but I'm really, really genuinely excited to have Susan Ramirez with me here today. She is the founder of an organization called National Angels that supports foster care in the United States. So Susan, thank you so much for being here today. I'm so excited to have you share your story with our audience. Yeah, I'm so thankful to be here. Last time we partnered three years ago was absolutely incredible, the kind of impact that we were able to make. And so just a huge opportunity to be here and to tell the story about why children and youth and families who are fostering, why they matter and how every single person, no matter who you are or what you do, can impact another person's life. So I'm just happy to be here and happy to share. Yeah, awesome. And for those of you, some of you that are listening, you may have been a part of that event that Susan is referring to. We I actually uh we did our last shoot our last live event, which was what three, two, three years ago, I think at this point, in Texas. And that was called the Impact and Growth Summit. And you spoke there and we did some fundraising for you and you shared your story and it was really powerful. Our audience just it's in, your message is it's such an alignment with love, serve, grow, and what we teach, and everybody will get that now. But so the reason why I asked Susan to come on to the show today is at the time of us publishing this, it'll be towards the end of November. We're actually planning on doing a special promotion with her for our audience to try to raise money for her organization. It's we kind of view it as the anti-Black Friday uh, promotion. You know, typically companies in our business are focused on how we can make an extra buck during this time of the year. And we want to do something more important and we want to figure out how we can help with a dollar. And so we can talk a little bit more towards the end. But to start off, Susan, why don't you just kind of share a little bit about 
who National Angels is and kind of, I love the story of how it came to being. I think everybody would really appreciate hearing that. Yeah. So I have a personal saying that I believe that every single child should have at least one healthy adult who knows the color of their eyes and the passions of their heart. And I think oftentimes people look at foster care as this big, big problem that the country faces. No matter where you are, what city you're in, there are children who are in foster care. And every time I speak, I like to start with the statistics because people don't know that foster care affects all of us. So uh, what we know is that 50% of children who grow up in the foster care system, 50% of our homeless population spent time in foster care. The majority of our prison population spent time in foster care, our human traffic victims, our rising health care costs. And one of my favorite quotes of all time is by Desmond Tutu, who says, there comes a point in time where we have to stop pulling people out of the river. We have to go upstream and find out why they're falling in. So when we think about homeless, prison, um, and all the statistics that plague children in care, we have to go upstream. And that's what National Angels is and does every single day across our country. So we, have, we operate in 16 states and in 22 cities with the whole goal and mission to reach and serve every single child, youth, and family. And when you think about that nationally, that's about 430,000 children and youth. And so the reason why I started this organization, I actually started it in Austin, Texas. And throughout the years, kind of one foot in front of the other, the organization began to expand and grow. But it was because I went to a conference that was on foster care and adoption. And I don't know how many times in your life you were on a path and a trajectory and the one decision you made completely changed the path. And that was for me when I went to a conference. I went to a conference and heard a story of two little boys, one named Jimmy and one named Johnny. And there was a judge that uh, did this conference, this breakout room. And there was about 30 of us that went into a classroom to learn more about foster care. And to be honest, I didn't want to go into this breakout session because I didn't know anything about foster care. And my mentality and viewpoint at that time was I couldn't let children come into my home, love on them, and then have them leave. I didn't understand the details and how foster care worked, but I just thought that was not something that I was interested in. But a friend at the time was like, you know, Susan, you should go into this room and listen to this judge speak. Because, you know, foster care really isn't about you. And wouldn't it be nice for someone like you to open up your home to a child who's been so badly abused or neglected? And so I went into this classroom, sat down, and the judge, who was kind of a soft-spoken guy, he said, I'm going to put up on a screen two little stories, one of Jimmy on the left-hand side and one of Johnny on the right-hand side. And what was listed on Jimmy and Johnny's kind of rap sheet was all of the abuse that they had taken. They both entered into the foster care system at the age of two, and they both aged out at the age of 18. And it had listed all of the abuse, all of the psychotropic meds, 22 and 20 different, 23 different placements. And you're reading things that were absolutely horrific, certainly that no child should have to experience. And we're sitting there in the classroom and you can begin to hear people kind of shuffling in their purses and bags to get Kleenex. And the judge said that the little boy on the left-hand side of the screen, no matter how many times he moved, he did really well in school. Well, that's a real novelty because what we know through statistics is that children who move on average uh, in, in two years will move seven times. So when you think about that, that seven new mommies and daddies, seven new sets of friends, if they even make them school. And what we know is that every time a child moves, they're six months behind from an educational standpoint. That's why 50% of youth who grow up in care don't graduate high school. So about half of them will not graduate. So when you hear a story of a little boy who did well in school, no matter how many times he moved, that's a real key. Like, wow, that, that, that's incredible. So the little boy, fast forward, he's two years old when he goes into care. At eight years old, the parental rights have been terminated. So that means biological mom and dad. I don't know all the details of his story, but he was eligible for adoption at eight years old. And at eight years old, his caseworker picked him up and took him to these things called picnics. 
And these picnics are where mommies and daddies who want to adopt can go and meet kids who are open for adoption. And it's amazing thing for kids who get selected and chosen at these, find their forever family. It's amazing. But it's terrible for the kids that go year after year after year and never get chosen. So the eight-year-old little boy says, okay, what can I do? How can I prove that I'm worthy of being loved? I've really got to stand out here. This is my opportunity for a forever family. Now, at this point, he'd been in care for six years. And what we know is that a lot of the children who grow up uh, in care, they want to be adopted. They want a forever family. So he says, I know what I can do. I can take my report card. So he, he goes to the picnic and he takes his report card and he pulls it out of the back of his pocket and he hands it to all the mommies and daddies and really tries to prove to them like, hey, I'm a good boy. Choose me. And year after year after year, the young man would take his report card. And year after year after year, he would never get chosen. So fast forward, the judge tells a story that he is two weeks before he turns 18 years old. He's living in a residential treatment center. And the director comes to him and says, son, you have been adopted. And he says, what do you mean I've been adopted? I was thinking I was going to age out of care and leave. Like, I, what do you mean? I've wanted to be adopted my whole life. And he says, you have been adopted and your father will be here soon to get you. So the young man irons a shirt and he's standing on the steps of the home where he's living, the group residential treatment center home where he's living. And the father comes to him and says, son, I'm sorry that it has taken me 18 years to find you, but you will never have to worry ever again about where you call home, that your mother and I are going to take you in. And now you have a brother. And he moved in with them. And what's so remarkable is that they put him through school and then they put him through seminary school. And he grows up to create one of the largest foster and adoption agencies and you hear that story and he places more children in healthy, happy homes than anywhere else in the state of Texas. And you're like, wow, that's incredible. That's remarkable. And the judge says at that moment that not everybody's called to foster and not everybody's called to adopt, but we can all make a difference and play a role in a child's life. And he tells the story of the other little boy on the right-hand side of the screen that has the exact same amount of moves, the exact same amount of abuse, psychotropic meds, except for he grows up, grow, goes through care, and at 18, there's no one there to rescue him. So he begins to leave the residential treatment center. He packs his grocery sack full of belongings, and he walks and he walks and he walks until he can find the nearest freeway, and he throws himself in front of an 18-wheeler, and he commits suicide. And the judge reminds us again, that not everybody's called to foster, not everyone's called to adopt, but everyone can play a role and make a difference in a child's life. Who was that child? Who was he supposed to become, um, but never had the opportunity to grow up and contribute back to society? And in that moment, Bob, I just literally felt the weight of the world. I felt as if it was my burden to bear, to make a difference and to try to get to every single child because I don't believe that that young man died in vain. I believe that because of that story, that many lives will be changed because of it. And when I left that conference, that was in 2010, we began to just talk about how do we change the experience for children in care. And we developed a program a few years after that called the Love Box Program. And that's the program that we do now all over the country, in every city and in every state. And our goal is to reach and serve every single child. And what that looks like is we believe that us as the community can be, we can be the difference for children in care. And the Love Box program has people just like you and I that decide we're going to make a difference in a child's life. And we sponsor a family that's fostering and we empower the children through intentional giving, relationship building, and mentorship. So the intentional giving piece looks like if I've got, let's say I have Jimmy and Johnny, I'm sponsoring in the Love Box program, Jim, Jimmy and Johnny, and they're both eight years old um, and they're both in foster care. So that would look like maybe they want to be in baseball. Maybe they want to be in basketball. I would go and see them every single month and make sure that they have every single thing that they need. So we're in the holidays right now. So 
I would be helping to buy Christmas presents or make gift baskets for the family. I could take dinner to them every other week. What's so unique about the program is that it's a tailored approach based on the needs of the family. So if the family has a high financial need, then I might get a group that can all support the family financially. If the family has more of an emotional need or the emotional support or time, then maybe I could go and just play with Jimmy and Johnny in the backyard. Maybe I could bring an art supply set and do art with them, ride bikes with them, go to the park with them, and then mentor them. So we talked about the little boy earlier who did so well in school. But when we hear the statistics that only 50% graduate, for us, a big component is the mentorship program. So that would look like maybe going and visiting them at school sitting and doing homework with them, and just really giving children the opportunity for normalcy and parents the opportunity to have respite. And what we have found through that program is that children are attaching. They are making better grades in school. They are feeling a sense of belonging. And for me, everything that we do is to change not only the way that they experience care, but how do we change the stats that are around children in care? How do we help to empower and to unleash all of their potential? Because like Jimmy and Johnny, we know that every single child has a gifting. And I believe if we can reach and serve every single child, we have the power not only to change the homeless, the prison, the human traffic, and all the other subsets of tragic stats around children. I believe that it will change generations to come. What a powerful story. What I'm thinking while I'm hearing you talking, Susan, and giving these examples is it's so indicative of like the power of being able to teach people that they do and they are inherently worthy of love, right? It's like, I think of the first, you know, the example of the kid who brings his report card to these picnics every year and is hoping that if I just work hard enough and I do enough that I'll be worthy of love. And how many times have we seen that story where when that's not return, it just it, it just erodes your sense of self. And, and I think the power of love is really being able to just teach people that you're not worthy because of what you do. You're worthy because you exist, right? You're worthy because of who you are. And that and being able to, to, to provide that sense of self to somebody, you know, that's where we see this, these major transformations, you know, and it doesn't take much, right? I mean, I love that's why I love when I when you shared with me the Love Box program. You know, it it hit home with me because I remember when Grayson was first born. I remember the very first time you know I I saw him and and he was you know they ushered him away to uh, you know to the little warming table because his temperature was a little low and and I just sat, I just sat there with him and I, and I put my little index finger out and he wrapped his little hand around it and I just remember like being overcome with this just sense of like responsibility for this new human being. And as a father, a new father, that can be so overwhelming because it's like an uncertain, like, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I'll know the right things to do. But then you lean on that fact that I just know I will love this little boy more than any other boy has ever been loved. And to think that there are children in this world that literally never experienced that, and I think your organization, what you do is so important because you give them a small dose of that. And a small dose of that can go a long way in a child's life, right? Absolutely. And I, I love that you said that, Bob. And for me, you know, I've had volunteers say, oh, well, I, you know, I don't have this and I don't have that. And I'm like, can you read? Because if you can read and go sit with a three-year-old who's never been read to before, like I can't tell you how many beautiful stories we have seen of children just blossom because somebody looks them in the eye and says, your life matters. And it matters to me. I have a two little stories, which was the impetus for me to kind of launch National Angels. And that was we were doing the Love Box program. We had a little boy named Jonathan, who was in the pilot of our program. And Jonathan really wanted to make the football team. And he was going into the seventh grade. And his mom, his foster mom says to me, Susan, of all the little boys in my home, and I've had over 50 boys in my home, Jonathan probably has the worst case of abuse and neglect that I have ever seen. In fact, I could only get through about the first two pages of his file and his report. So when we started showing up in Jonathan's home, he would not look at us in the eyes. He wouldn't even raise his head. 
He just had his head kind of knelt down every time we'd come around and we just showed up month after month after month, loving on Jonathan, telling him that his life mattered, that it mattered to us. And it was August timeframe. It was back to school and we had given him a brand new backpack and all these school supplies. And the one kind of framework and rule that we have in the program is that every month when you go to see your kids, you leave them with a handwritten letter, a little love letter until the next time that you can come and see them. And I think I was also just so amazed that every time we'd come with a letter, anytime it's like my kid's birthday or something, they get a letter, they get a card, they open it up and then they kind of throw it away and they just can't wait to get to the gift. What was so profound to me was that the young boys in this home would intentionally read the love letter because it was the first time anybody had actually ever written to them in that way. And so we told Jonathan, we understand that you want to make the football team. We want you to put this on your poster board bed. And every morning when you wake up, we want you to read it out loud. We just want you to know that we believe in you, that we're rooting for you. And every morning he did. Every morning he got up and he read these words over his life that his life did matter. And we would be checking in with him. And every time we saw him, we'd come and we'd, how's your schoolwork doing? What's happening at school? We were deeply invested in him. And uh, the foster mommy called me and she said, Susan, you're not going to believe this, but the little boy with no self-esteem, the little boy who's never made a passing grade a day in his life has just barreled through the front door, waving his progress report card and saying, mama, mama, mama. And he handed her the report card and it had shown that he had made straight A's. So this is a young man who went from failing grades to straight A's. And he said to his mom that for the first time in my life, somebody believed in me and I didn't want to make a liar out of him. And so Jonathan goes on to make good grades and Jonathan goes on to make the football team. And it was a moment for me where I just truly believed that just words spoken over a little boy gave him hope, gave him community, gave him so much empowerment to take control of his life and say, I am worthy. I am good. And while I can't choose the situation that I'm in, I can certainly choose how I'm going to move through and operate in this space. And, uh, and in the same home, Ryan, a little boy, uh, it was his birthday and, uh, we had done a huge thing for his birthday. He got home from school that day and he knew that he was going to have all these gifts and trinkets and, uh, in a big box with balloons that came out when he opened the box. And he called me afterwards. I couldn't be there for his birthday, but he called me and he said, Miss Susan, I was so thankful for this birthday gift. I was so excited. Couldn't wait to get home from school today because I knew that it was going to be here. And this is the first time that someone has celebrated my birthday. And when he hung up the phone, he said, I love you. Also 14 years old, entered into care at the age of one, had spent 13 years in and out of all these different placements. And same foster mom called me and she said, Susan, I, I don't want that novelty to be lost on you that that young man said the words, I love you, that he has been in my home for years and I have never heard him say the words, I love you. So it's one thing to feel love. It's a whole nother thing to be able to say it. Mm -hmm. And we just kept on in this home and simple, simple things. Like I remember Halloween time, we would go and we would bring painted pumpkins And I remember the foster mom saying, there is no way you're going to get six teenage boys to paint pumpkins. And I was like, watch me work. And we went out and we painted pumpkins because they had never done that before in their whole life. And it was like, how do we show children and youth in care that these normal things that we do with our children, like they deserve it too. And, uh, and every year at Thanksgiving, we would do silly things like arts and crafts. And at Christmas time, we would sit around the table and we'd put together gingerbread houses. But of course, we'd always put a fun spin on it, make it a competition, give them a gift card to the pizza place and they got to pick the pizza. But what it did was it created community in a way that they had never received it before. And uh, it was the impetus of that that said, how do we reach and serve every single child with this program? And so we started to pilot chapters and launch chapters in different cities. And now we have this big, grandiose vision of how do we get to every Ryan and every Jonathan and every Jimmy and every Johnny and every Susie and every Michelle and every child, all 430,000, how do we get to them 
so that they are empowered so much so that they feel that sense of belonging. That when a daddy reaches his hand over and the baby cusps it, he knows instantly I'm safe. How do we get to every child? And so it doesn't matter who you are or what you do. You can empower another person's life. You can rock a baby. You can bring pumpkins. You can sit and read. It doesn't have to be hard and it doesn't have to be complicated. Yeah. I love that last part because, you know, I'm just, I'm imagining someone that's listening to this now that, because look, our audience, Susan, the people that are a part of our community, they they truly do feel called to what they do. You know, they they feel like God has a bigger plan for their life. They, even though at times they struggle understanding how their business fits into that plan, they really truly are driven by things bigger than just profit. Now, it's not to say we don't want to make money, but we're driven by service and we really want to make a difference in the world. But I hear you talk about, you know, 430,000, reach every child. And I think so many times it's easy when we have this big vision for how what we want to do with our life for it to become really overwhelming because it's like, how do you even start? And I think a lot of times people, they get they, they don't make the impact that they're able to make or the contribution to the world because they get caught up focusing too big. And I love what you say, like when you started, it just started with one child. How do I make a difference in this child's life? Or you know, we're a company that focuses on leadership. How do I lead this one person that's in front of me? You know, I know you feel called, you know, God is calling you to something bigger, but guess what? He's also calling you to show up where you are and serve today. And, you know, I found in my business, purpose comes from progress. As we're willing to take each step faithfully, the vision of where we're really being called to go becomes clearer and clearer. So on that note, I'm just curious, like, what were you doing at the time of, feeling this calling to want to do this? What, what were you doing? Like, what was I doing for a living? Yes. Yeah. yeah. So my background, it, it's so fascinating, but I never had the vision that this is what I would be doing in my life. I had spent eight years in corporate America. I had sold homes for the second largest builder in the nation and had a vision that I would climb kind of the proverbial corporate ladder to continue climbing up and up and up in that corporate space. But again, going back to, I don't know how many times in your life, like the one thing completely changed the whole trajectory, uh, but it was going to that conference for me. It was the, the awakening and the knowing. And I was, you know, quite honestly, I was scared. I was scared because who did I think that I was? I didn't have it all figured out. I still don't, you know, I was felt like I was being called into this space, but that meant that I was going to have to leave the comfort of what I knew from corporate America. It also meant I was going to have to leave a salary that I didn't know if I was ever going to be able to actually run an organization where I would be able to make money again. I was. Did, gonna, I forget, Susan, did you have children at this time of your own? I had one. Got it. Okay. Yeah, I had one. And I didn't have my second son until um, 2016. But, you know, I, I was really nervous and I was really scared. But I also felt so called to this work and just felt like I'm going to give it a shot and I'm going to try. And if I fail, I can always go back to what I've known before. But gosh, what a disservice it would have been because I finally left my corporate career in 2015. And the day that I left my job, if I rewind and go back to that day, that pivotal day and that pivotal moment where I thought, I believe that every child should have this program, when I left, I didn't even know six years later, I didn't even know then, obviously you can't, you can't know what's on the other side of your yes. You can't understand it until you fully step into that space. And six years in, when I look back and I think we've got 227 people in our network and we've got 76 case managers that are serving under just right under 3000 kids nationwide. And we're coast to coast impacting lives and empowering children, youth, and families. And it was all based on that one yes, that one yes that said, would you at least try? Would you at least be brave enough to just try for one? And that one turned into two, that turned into three, and so on and so forth. And it, it certainly has not been an easy road, but it has been worth it. Well, this is, I mean, this is really relatable, this conversation, because like the person that we really look to serve through our programs, she is someone that started out in a career and in a job that 
she thought was going to provide something specific to her and reached a point where she just realized that it wasn't fulfilling her in the way that she wanted to be fulfilled. And that felt like there was something more out there. And that's how a lot of our community members, they, they get introduced to network marketing because that to them feels like something that can be more fulfilling to them. But then there's that uncertainty of I have this thing that's providing me this lifestyle and I've put all this time and effort into it. It's not really lighting me up the way that I want, but it's difficult, you know, letting go of something like that and venturing into the uncertain world of of building something for yourself. So I think that this is a story that's certainly relatable to the people that are listening to to this now. Yeah, I think so too. And I think that, you know, kind of being brave and scared at the same time is absolutely how I have moved through this journey is that I have been brave to take one step forward, but also cautious and nervous too, you know? And I think you can hold those tension that it's okay. But I believe if you can't, so for me in my corporate job, I was not fulfilled. I was financially doing very well, but I was not fulfilled. And I kept feeling this sense of, I need to be doing something different with my life. In fact, I can remember laying at bed at night and kind of like tears falling from my face and hitting the pillow and it being so loud, so dramatic, you know, and I just remember laying there and being like, God, what do you want me to do with my life? Would you just tell me and I'll do it. I'll be obedient. And I just felt this whisper, like I am telling you, you're not listening. And if you would just turn the noise down in your life and be true to me and to what I have designed you for, and if you will trust me, And I felt that sense of like, okay, I'm going to trust you in a way that maybe I never have before. And I'm going to cling to this idea that I am called to do something differently with my life. And six years later, here we are. So I'm I'm imagining, you know, the last six years of you starting from, let me just impact this one child and then let's make it a second one. And then maybe all of a sudden you start thinking bigger and this could become something more. And now you have employees and you've got chapters and talk about how you've had to reinvent yourself. I mean, I can imagine that there's been plenty of moments along the way where you've questioned, do I, do I really have what I need to do to make this thing go right? This is a, this is a challenge that our students face all the time is they, they start out not really with the intention of building this huge business that's going to change lives. It's just like, you know, this is something that I enjoy doing and I want to do. And they grow this team and now they're put in this position of leadership. We call that we affectionately call them accidental leaders. They have the intention to lead, but they don't necessarily have the skill set and the belief that they need to do it. And it's kind of like we're, we're laying the tracks as the train is going down that, you know, Uh, So talk a little bit about like that journey that you had to go through in your business. Yeah. Well, in the very beginning, I used to always say, it's kind of like we're riding the bike and building it at the same time. That was just the truth of us uh, going down this because there's no playbook that says this is how to do it from A to Z. You're just doing it and kind of figuring it out at the same time. And I will tell you that, you know, again, it was kind of like one foot in front of the other, but for me and my leadership journey, I think one of the greatest things for me has been two things. Number one, I have always um, hired out of my weaknesses. So I think the greatest thing that any leader can do is get true about who you are, understand what your giftedness is, and then hire those that are better in other situations. You don't have to be the smartest person in the room. In fact, if you are, then I think that's problematic. And so I would always hang on real quick. My baby just walked in. Hang on. Sorry, working from home. So we are so just so you know, we are purposely not going to cut that out. We're going to make sure everybody knows that you were interrupted by one of your boys. So because that just that, listen, this is this is what our audience is. This is what we deal with. So. Yeah, this is. I'm like, you got to get out of here, man. Get out. <laughs> so here's what I immediately think when I hear you say that because I totally agree. But that requires someone like that requires you to really keep your ego in check, right? Oh, totally. To, 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 be, to be as firmly rooted in your own sense of self-worth 
that you can put other people in a position that might be better than you in certain areas and not have that threaten your sense of self-worth as a leader, right? Yeah, I think you have to be, I think the greatest gift a leader can give themselves is knowing where you are weak. And so I have done exercises with my team and with my interns um, to say like, where am I weak as your leader? Because you can only be so self-aware. And so there has been times in our leadership where I wanted to know Like, what am I not doing great and how can I improve? And so with that, I think, you know, everybody needs to go on their own journey. You're not going to just self-actualize who you are first year. You're going to constantly have to debrief and look at your calendar and say, what did I do great this month? What did I fall short on? How did I respond to this person? What is my communication like? Are we moving the business forward in this Do we need to double down in marketing? Do we need to pull back? Do we need, like, you know, you constantly have to be assessing your business and assessing yourself as a leader. If you've got high levels of turnover, you might have a leadership problem. If you're not growing and scaling like you want, you might have a leadership problem. And so if you've got a high, like, gossipy, toxic work environment, you might have a leadership problem. And so I think it all rises and all falls on the leader. I think the best parts of an organization are usually typically the best parts of the organization. And the worst parts are those that are the worst parts of the leader, unless you are hiring to help in those areas. So I would say your people are your greatest advantage to get you further faster. And I believe that when you are truly building an incredible team, you're able to unleash things that you never have been possible. And the other thing too, is listening to your team. I've not been this great, grandiose visionary. I have allowed other people to build this with me. I didn't build Austin Angels alone, and I'm not building National Angels alone. That I have allowed other people and their vision and their giftedness to come in and play a role and play a part and say, what do you think if we go down this way? There is not an idea that I won't turn down, at least listening to. I am open to what it is that you have to say. And so maybe you're trying to build a team. I would think about what am I not so great at? Who on my team is really good at these things? And how can we empower them to kind of bring their full self with all of their giftedness to show up and to help us move the mission forward? So I think the team building piece is probably something that I'm the most passionate about in my leadership. Yeah. And it's so important. So, I mean, like I'm hearing you talk and what I'm thinking is, you know, this is what we call leading with love. And this is what we try to teach our students to do. Most most of the quote unquote leaders that are in our profession are people that lead from fear with a scarcity mindset. And they're threatened by other people's success. They are rigid when it comes to change. And, you know, they uh, they're not receptive to feedback, right? So I think to me, that's such a, a, a litmus test for a great leader. And what it's really rooted in is humility, right? It's like a willingness to grow and knowing that, you know, it's almost like the more, if, if you're coming from a place of love and you're humble, the more you know, the more you realize you don't know. Mm-hmm. And and I think that that to me is, it's no it's no secret that your organization has grown the way that it has because it has someone like you at the helm running it. I think that there's a lesson that can be learned from all of us in that sense. Thank you. I also think, you know, a great tool that I have every one of our interns and every one of our new hires do is the strength finders. So every new hire that comes through and every intern has to complete the strength finder assessment. Have you ever done that before? Yes, I have. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so that's to ensure that we have people operating in their strengths, in their company. It's also a great tool to know, how do I lead this person well? And just to ensure that I'm doing the best that I can as the leader to ensure that they stay within their giftedness and not put them in an area where they're not going to be good at. The other thing too is continuing education is a very hot button for me, if you will. If I have to be the one who's pouring into every single person, our company's not going to go anywhere. So for example, I'm not a marketing expert. And so if I have to teach the latest trends for marketing, or if I have to teach our marketing department how to grow, scale, expand in their vision, that's not going to be good. So every single one of our employees are empowered to continue their education. So each one of them are given a small stipend where they can get books, go to seminars, webinars, conferences, so that they can learn and grow. 
um, because I'm not okay with every person just subpar. If we are trying to reach and serve every single child, then we have to be deliberate in our pursuit to excellence. Excellence doesn't just happen. We have to be deliberately going after growing every single employee and having every employee, I keep using this term self-actualization, it is a prerequisite that if you are going to work here, that you have the ability to see where there's holes, to see where there's gaps. Initiative is one of our core values. So how is that employee going to take the initiative to go the extra mile to see where there's holes and to fill in the gaps in their department and in their role? Yeah. And I love that. I mean, what you're saying is essentially that you have expectations of people. And in in doing that, it helps people reach their full potential, right? So we We've talked about the power of belief, and in our world, love is belief. We talk about putting love at the center of your life and your business. That just means having a strong sense of self-worth, right? knowing that you are worthy regardless of what you do. And I think when we come from that place, it, it ignites a new vision of who we think that we can become. And so I hear you talking about the way that you've grown your company and the way that you lead your team. You believe in people. And even the people that aren't so sure about themselves, they feed off of that. And our audience, you know, one of the questions we get all the time is, you know, Bob, how do I help my team believe more in themselves? And the thing that I always say to them is it's counterintuitive because before you focus on someone else, you have to look inwards to yourself. You can't fill someone else's cup unless yours is, if yours is empty. And we talk a lot about really, truly learning how to find that in yourself so that that can really be the fuel from which you operate from. Yeah. And I think that if you're a person that you don't know what your strengths are to take the strength finder assessment and to get your top five people that are in your life that can speak to, this is where I believe that you've got areas of greatness. And so you're a great communicator. You're a great host. You're great at strategic planning. You're a developer, whatever those skill sets are, then you can go and do a little research and say, okay, how do I leverage these strengths? And then you have to do the same thing with your team, but you have to get people, like if you want to unleash the potential in people, you have to understand what are their strengths and what are their weaknesses. And so for me as a leader, when I go to a team member, I'm asking them, what do you believe your strengths are? And then I'll say, this is where I see your area of giftedness is in. Do you agree with that? Do you not agree with that? And then I say, okay, if we know that these are your strengths and this is what I believe your strengths are, how do we work together so that we can produce the greatest amount of fruit in your role? And it's pretty simple, but you wouldn't want to put somebody in any different role that wasn't leveraging all of their strengths. Uh, For me, and I keep going back to this marketing piece, but early on, we didn't have enough money to pay for the marketing person. So I was doing the marketing and it was terrible. And I was spending all my time doing these things that were producing no fruit for our business. And finally, I just said to myself, okay, I don't have the money for this yet. I need this to be done. So then I went and hired an intern from a communication department from a local college and got her to come in and kind of help us in marketing because this is not where I needed to spend my time. I needed to spend my time doing other things. And the minute that I made that decision, all the dominoes began to fall. So I would say, stop doing things that are not producing fruit. Start doing things where you see that there's dominoes that are going to begin to fall. And then you fill in the gaps with people along the way. Yeah. I love that. When, you know, when I, when I hear you talking about like the strengths finder and identifying what your strengths are, like to me, stuff like that is so powerful because it helps you start to see the good in yourself that sometimes is so difficult for us to recognize. Like, you know, we all have these areas of giftedness that we take for granted and we don't see them as that. And, you know, we talk a lot in our business about how beliefs, we actually prefer the term story because our beliefs are really just stories that we tell ourselves. And we talk about the most important story in the world you tell yourself is the one about yourself. Absolutely. And, you know, I hear the story of like a Jonathan who, you know, lived his whole life, you know, believing a story of, of limitation and lack where he wasn't worthy and, you know, wasn't worthy of love and wasn't good enough. And, and then you come into his life through the love box program and, you give him the affirmation of his worth and you're constantly loving on him. And over time, what it forces people to do is face the reality that maybe what they've always thought about themselves isn't actually true. 
That's because right. there's someone else that is telling me otherwise. And it, and it really, it, it just forces people to consider maybe there's a different point of view. And, you know, it's, it's so important. And, but here's the thing, we have to learn how to do that to ourselves. Mm-hmm. You can't truly love on other people the way that God has created you to, unless you learn how to love on yourself. And that starts with recognizing that innate capability and that we call it the seed of greatness that's inside of us all. Let me tell you that this was a hard journey because I was only and could only be so self-aware. Oh my gosh. Now my husband is in the room. Oh my gosh. You have any pets? Maybe no. the pets can come through now. No, okay. no but okay. at some point, I mean, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. Hang on one second. And this is what happens when you don't have a dedicated office. Okay. So this is something that I will tell you, Bob, has been quite the journey for me because, you know, you're talking about this and you're like, well, how do people become self-aware? How do we know when we're telling lies to ourselves? And I will tell you that for me, one of the lies that I told myself in my leadership Anytime something was not working, I think you can look at your business one of two ways. One way you can look at your business and you can say, oh, that's someone else's problem. Somebody else has dropped the ball and you push all the blame to someone else and you take none of the responsibility. Or you can be how I was. If something fell through, if something was falling apart, for me, I would constantly um, look at it and say, oh, well, of course that's not working. That's my fault. Like I would take all the onus. I would take none of, wow, that's good and that's working. I would take on all of the things that were broken. And I had actually gone out um, for a soul adventure in Sedona, Arizona, which um, fundamentally changed my life. It was six days, uh, uh, four days of kind of intensive work. Three out three with three different practitioners a day, where you would go up hiking for two hours. And one of the exercises that we did, because again, like you can only be so self aware, but anytime you have something that's working in your life and you immediately go to, I'm not good enough, I'm not smart enough, any of those kind of negative lies that you tell yourself from this point moving forward, you have to go, oh, okay, what's happening here and what's actually the truth? So for me, I had a an amazing childhood, but I had a very hardworking dad who worked three jobs, was gone a lot. And he never said this to me. He never said, you're not good enough, but he was always high achieving, very determined. And an example would be if my brothers went outside to go and mow the lawn, my dad would go behind them and remow it. If we made B's, why didn't you make an A? So very hardcore uh, growing up. And so the lies that I would tell myself, he never said to me, you're not good enough. He never said it, but that's the lie that I picked up in my head and it has lived there ever since. So I'm, I'm with this hike guide and we're out hiking. We're sitting, we're sitting kind of on the edge of this cliff and he sits down and he says, I want you to take a piece of paper and I want you to draw a line down the center of it. I want you to write one through 10 on the left-hand side and one through 10 on the right-hand side. And at the very top, I want you to do a big circle and I want you to write down all the people who raised you. So your mom, your dad, your brother, your grandma, I want you to write them all in the circle. So I wrote them. He said, okay, I want you to put them all in a bag and I want you to shake them up. And all the good things about them, I want you to write them down on the left-hand side of the page. So they were kind, they were loving, they were generous, blah, 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 blah. I said, okay, put all of them right back in the bag. I want you to shake it up. And I want all the bad things or all the hard things about your childhood. I want you to take those and I want you to write one through 10. And I thought, oh man, this is really hard for me to do. This feels, I feel guilty about doing an exercise like this because I know how brokenness families and children can be. I kind of feel guilty about this. And one by one, he kind of just pulled it out of me. And I, I wrote down a one through 10, like the feeling of not being smart enough, not good enough being dismissed, all these things, I write it down. So he, uh, I'm looking at this list of 10 great things versus 10 not so great things. And at this time he says, okay, I want you to circle the top three things from your childhood that triggers you the most today in your leadership. And so again, I circled, I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough being dismissed. And he said, okay, And he was sitting in front of me and he had moved around to the left-hand side of me and he sat down to the left-hand side of me. And he said, I want you to think of a time in your childhood where maybe you felt not good enough. Can you think of a time? 
or maybe where you aren't smart enough. And I said, yes, I can think of a time. And he said, okay, how old are you? And I said, eight years old. And he said, okay, do you have, uh, did your parents have a nickname for you? And I said, yeah, they called me Susie. And he says, okay, I, w- I want you to put Susie right in front of you. And uh, I want you to take your list of one through 10 of all the bad things. And I want you to read it out loud to Susie. I want you to tell her that she's not good enough and that there will be no one there to help her and um, that she's not smart enough. And I'm looking at the list and I'm kind of shaking my hands. It's very emotional. And I was like, no, 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 mm -mm, no, I will not read that out to her. Like, shame on you. No. And uh, I have an eight-year-old son. So obviously this hit home because I would never tell my son that he's not good enough or not smart enough. And he says, I want you to say it out loud to her because you have for 31 years. I'm 39 years old. And so he said, you've been, you've been saying that to her for 31 years. Mm-hmm. And I had, with tears rolling down my face, done this exercise, told her that she wasn't good enough and all this. And, and we get done. And he said, now we're going to debunk every single one of those lies that you tell yourself that live in your subconscious. And so one by one, he said, give me two reasons why you're smart enough. And I said, well, I, I graduated from college with honors. Now I had a learning disability from the time I was in the second grade all the way until I graduated high school at 18 years old. And it wasn't until I got to college where I learned what grit and tenacity and hustle really was. I learned that it may take a person an hour to study, get it, to get an A, but for me, I was going to have to study three, four hours to get an A. And I overcame that and ended up graduating from college with honors. And so he said, Okay, so you graduated from college with honors and then you went to go start a nonprofit that's doing pretty well. So you can't actually be dumb and smart at the same time, can you? And I was like, no, I I guess you can't. And we literally went down the list one by one by one where he debunked every single lie that I told myself. And so, you know, I, I hope that when you hear that story, I would not have known that those are the lies that I told myself until I did a powerful exercise like that until I was able to be so far removed from everyday life and how I was operating. It wasn't until that moment that it literally shifted everything in my mind. It gave me so many more tools that when something was not working how I wanted it to, instead of beating myself up, I could say, okay, logically, let's figure out a way to fix this versus it being so suffocating to me. So, I mean, that's in such an alignment with what we try to help our students with. And, you know, I would say to anybody listening, you don't have to go on a six day, you know, spiritual journey in Sedona, although I'd highly recommend going to Sedona because it's like (laughs) one of my favorite places. But to me, the power is just becoming aware and the awareness comes from the writing down. Mm-hmm. We so talk cool. all the time about this these concepts of having what we call red light stories. Red so what you refer to as the lie, we call red light stories. They're just these negative things that we think about ourselves, but it's we do it unconsciously. And people that listen to this show, they they're they are they're aware that they do it, they catch themselves. They understand, but they're not truly transforming because they're not writing them down. See, when we get them out of our head and we can shine shine a light on them, that's when we can challenge them and realize that they're not actually true. Well, I like to say fear thrives in the darkness, but when you yes. shine a light on it, it fades away. And that's the power. And I love that. I love that exercise because it's so simple. Any one of us can do that but it, it, it's life-changing. It really is. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Certainly yeah. changed mine. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, Susan, I know we're getting a little short on time here, so let, let's, let's talk. I'd love to have you talk a little bit about what you all are doing for Giving Tuesday this year, the promotion that you're running that we're going to be partnering up with you on. Um, you know, I just felt in talking to my team, we, we got into the normal fourth quarter planning. And we're like, what are we going to do for Black Friday? And everything that we wrote on the board just seemed so inconsequential. And I said, let's do something different. Let's, let's actually make a difference where, you know, we talk about being a purpose-driven company. Let's, let's really do something about that this year. And 
Um, so we'll have, uh, at the time of the recording, I'll have some direction on how people can participate in this, but can you talk a little bit about what you all are going to be doing this year? <laughs> perfect, perfect timing. <laughs> yes. Okay, buddy. Okay. As her super adorable son just walks in with no <laughs> shirt on and hands her iPhone. <laughs> oh, bless me. Uh, um, okay. So we have we extended our giving tuesday to a 3 day giveathon campaign in the hopes that it leverages the community kind of nationwide to help us to empower children youth and families all over the country so i'm so excited bob that you are partnering with that and our hope is that we can raise as much money as possible to help us reach and serve more children and i just don't want for anyone to say well i don't have a large amount of money to give so my investment um, won't make that much of an impact. I will tell you that the last time, Bob, that we got together three years ago at your summit, all the people in the audience and the people online had ended up raising somewhere, I think around $36,000. And what that was able, what that was, what that did for our organization, we got to help on board about a hundred children into our program that then started to get the love box support and lots of other continued supports through our organization. So don't think for one second that, well, I only have $25 or I only have 50 or I only have a hundred. Um, that coupled with lots of people can make a massive impact. Um, and so we are um, excited to be able to partner with you in this way and to do it all over again. Yeah. And I think that to me, like, that's the message is every little bit can make a difference. Right. Yeah. I mean, I was so, I was so proud of our community when they pulled together like that. I know we had some, some key people in our community that wound up becoming involved with your organization and being more active and stuff. So, yeah, so we're super excited. We're grateful to be able to do it. I mean, to me, this is a no brainer. Our messages are so aligned. And and I just think that I just love the mission and the purpose behind what you're doing. And so look, if you're somebody that uh, wants to make a difference and you're not really sure how, I think this would be a great way to do something special for someone else during a time of the year where we're typically focused on consuming, you know, let, let's, let's put our dollars to work. And, you know, we're really grateful for any of you that decide to support this, this cause. So, um, so Susan, I want to just thank you so much for being here today, and uh, I'm proud to be uh, connected with you and to be able to call you a friend and help your organization in whatever way that we can, and excited for my audience because I'm uh, probably most of the people that are hearing this are not aware of you and what you do, and hopefully this has given them a little bit, bit of inspiration that maybe there are some people in the world that are in need of help that they might be able to make a difference in their lives. So Yeah, well, I'm so thankful to you too. I don't know if everyone knows, but you sit on our National Advisory Council and I have picked your brain on multiple occasions about what to do in certain areas of our business. And you've been very kind and you and Shannon have been very generous to our organization. And so I'm so thankful for your support. You are a person that does more than just write checks. You believe in it and you um, have given us a lot of great um, information over the last couple of years. So we're thankful for your support as well. And I'm excited to see what your community does. Yeah. Well, awesome. Well, I am as well. And listen, I know we've got the best community in the world in this space. So I am, uh, I've got high expectations of all of you listening. Okay. So let's stay true to form here. Let's, let's pull together, <laughs> let's pull together and let's, let's change some, some children's lives by showing them the power of love. So Susan, thanks so much for being here, for sharing your story. This is awesome. I really enjoyed this conversation and I, I really appreciate your time today. Me too. Thank you so much. Okay. All right. So how good was that? I love, I just love hearing the stories of people that are out there in the world making a difference and hearing, you know, the, the passion and the purpose behind why they do what they do and, and uh, you know, people that can provide us a roadmap of how we can start thinking bigger. So, so once again, I'll give you that link again. If you, if you find it in your heart, you want to donate, look, any amount is, it, it will make a difference here. Just go to yourvirtualupline.com forward slash donate. And um, the official campaign doesn't start till November 30th, but I think that link's live. So like, there's nothing to keep you from doing it beforehand, but we're going to be 
sending out some emails, a uh, couple of emails between the 30th and the 2nd for this fundraising. Like I said, this is just our, we just want to take a different stance this holiday season and Black Friday. We, you know, we, we, we are a purpose-driven, mission-driven company, and we, we want to leverage our community because I know there's so many of you that are just, you know, you, you, you think and feel the way we do. You want to make a difference. I know that we can pull together and do something special. So we will, like I said, we will match whatever donations we come up with. I'll make sure that once the uh, the fundraiser is done, that I'll hop on here and I'll let you know what the totals were and what the match was, and and it'll be good. But anyway, I hope you enjoyed the interview with Susan. I certainly enjoyed sharing it with you, and uh, I will see you soon on the next episode. Take care. 